David Mooney and I'm Sam Lee and this is Why Always Us a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic each week we'll be looking at the main stories from the last week at City and we'll have the very latest big name interviews breaking news and reaction to the big matches as well this week no team has scored as many goals as City have this season so why on earth can't they find the nets when it's been put on a plate for them this week Gundogan and Rodri were paired together against Spurs when they both start City win just 53% of the time so is that one of the manager's major issues and it's been a terribly inconsistent season so has three and a half years of Guardiola was intense coaching simply taken the squad to breaking point or does it need a big refresh to make sure his final season doesn't go a similar way Bet365 sponsors our podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sport. The Bet365 app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Now you always hear cries of shoot whenever City get the ball anywhere near the opposition's penalty area and sometimes you can wonder why they haven't taken on a shot but this week it's gone to the extreme and everybody looks shot of confidence in front of goal. Missed penalties, missed open goals, rejecting excellent chances in favour of a pass. Sam, help me out here. What's what's happened? (laughs) I don't know, I don't know. Um, So my match article from the Tottenham game was basically a look at a lot of the chances they've missed recently. Some of the big ones, some of the smaller ones as well. I didn't even, um, I didn't even plan for it to be 20, 20 misses. But I got to the end and cutting them up, and I was like, oh, 20 there. That's pretty handy." <laughs> but I realised once it, I didn't know it was twenty. Twenty was chances like... in four games. Um, so this is the the Palace game, um, both the United games in the Carabao Cup. I was Sheffield United and the Spurs game. So five games. So. An average of four, four from each. Four from each. Um, yeah, some of them are like really bad. Obviously, people have got their own in their mind's eye. But there's probably five really bad ones to choose from. But it's not just that. It's penalties as well. Penalties. Penalties as well. Well, I think it's quite a handy... I think we've spoken about penalties before, and it's quite a handy way to look at the first question you asked me, what's going on? So in the article I wrote, it's a look at the chances. There's a couple of little things in there dotted around may kind of hint at what the problem might be but I mean I don't know what is like what is going on I don't know what's going on it's really weird <laughs> but I think the penalties is a good crossover because you've got as I mentioned before when I wrote an article about the penalties after the Sheffield United game spoke to a sports psychologist and he mentioned how you know if you're short on confidence or if you're nervous before the penalty or if you overthink, well, if you overthink things, it's all in your brain, and then you know a footballer should be able to take a penalty with no problem. But if you start getting nervous or feeling the pressure or whatever, it starts going through your mind a bit too much. And I think the the phrase he used was all of you know all of all the energies in your head, and there's nothing left in your body, or something like that, um, which is very sports psychologist speak. But um, you know he's he knows what he's talking about. He but works it, with football clubs. But it is just kicking a football from dead in the middle of the yeah, goal from twelve yards away. Well, do you, like, would you take one? For City. I'd have a go. <laughs> yeah, you, fine. You know, you know what I mean? Fine. Like, I, well, I don't even know if I'd have a go, you know. I, I might even think, sort that. Really? Didier Deschamps in the, in the World Cup. There was a fans had a penalty shoot on. 
penalty shootout, didn't take one. Captain, won mm. the World Cup with the manager now. Did, but you think a, a player like that would take yeah, one? Yeah. Some people just don't fancy it. Um, I'd I mean, like I, to think I, I, mean, I would. I, I also think that I can't be any worse than what's happened in this season. So <laughs> Yeah, know. well, oh, that, we could have gone on a big divergence there. But, but anyway, yeah, it is just somebody taking it, but, but it's not as simple as that. Why is Gabriel Jesus missed 6 out of 10? And this is why I think it's a good crossover. Because, you know, in football, we kind of go off the information we can get. And sometimes we overplay it because, you know, if you get some little snippet, you know, if, if Guardiola says, oh, yeah, today I didn't do a team talk or whatever, then you think, oh, he didn't do a team talk, let's go on it. But yeah. then yeah, that might be that might happen 20 times a season. You might do that every other or, week. Or yeah. like every manager might do it. You know what I mean? Something like that. So we, we can go overboard on it. But it's the fact that Gabriel Jesus, and I've used this a few times, again, just relying on the information we've got. After the game in Zagreb, where he was called a hat trick, he was really, really open, really honest. I did an article about it as well, um, and he said, "You know, sometimes I want to shoot myself in the head, and sometimes I think, oh my God, I've got to score, I've got to score, I've got to score.' And sometimes I miss because I'm thinking too much, and I'm like, well, that's fantastic. I mean, it's probably terrible for him because people might remember that and think, you know, it sticks with him. But it, it is handy to explain why he does miss some of these one-on-ones, maybe some of these chances and the penalties." And we've mentioned this last week with Raheem Sterling's problems and being a confidence player, and maybe he's the same. But I, I do think it is now a confidence thing with City and missing these chances because, like you mentioned, not taking up shooting opportunities and passing instead. I think they're thinking, they're, they're overthinking it basically. And I yeah. hate that word. I hate that word when it's applied to Guardiola in particular. But, but the, generally, the, the prime I don't example, like it. look at that David Silva one yeah, in exactly. the United game. They're trying to like, find a better angle. That, he's thinking, oh, if I, if I catch out Wamba Saka and De Gea by passing it. It's an open goal. Then it's an open goal. It's like, you've got an open goal. Just shoot. Yeah. It's the same thing as the Sterling one. Um, just before that against United, he's obviously, he always cuts inside pretty much now because he's trying to look for that better angle and find the bottom corner. Maybe that's because that's how he's been um, kind of conditioned to play on the left-hand side. That's where his goals come from when he plays on the left. Cutting he, on he the cut, edge of the box. He cuts inside in. and shoots it in. So he's looking for that angle. I mean, he has obviously just score goals with his, with his left. I remember against Aston Villa this season when Edison put that long ball over the top and he ran in behind. He finished it on his left foot, but he was much closer in. But yeah, so he, he was obviously thinking, oh, I need to make this chance even easier. You don't. Just take it as it is. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what's happened. But then, I don't know, against Tottenham, I mean, the, the chances were fantastic. <laughs> and I mean, it was a shambles of a game. I was I was absolutely exasperated. And many people listening to this will know I'm not a City fan. Some people might think, "Oh, okay," but like I, I enjoy watching City. Like they've given me tremendous entertainment over the years. When they, they lose, gave, they gave us tremendous entertainment. Well, yeah, but when <laughs> they but when they lose, I'm like, "God, okay." Well, because it doesn't normally happen very often, and I'm like, "Well, I feel like I need to explain what's happened there." So it's like, oh, "God, what?" But yesterday, I was like, I was just exasperated with them. Like people, people were, like mate, City mates were sending me messages, and I was like, "What the hell are they playing at?" That was this was my yeah. response to them. I've I've got no answers for you. Like what what are they doing? But then you watch it back, and again for this article, I've watched their chances back. Some of, not just good chances in terms of they were close to the goal and could have shot, but the way they created the chances, absolutely fantastic. And I mentioned I did twenty examples. There was one I missed from the Spurs game, which I I can't believe I did, but it was just because there was so much going on after the game. And even this morning when I was trying to do it, it didn't show up on the scouting platform I was using. But I saw it about two o'clock just as it went up live. It was that one, and I was sat next to Jack Pitbrook, and it was that one just after the one where Sterling squared it to Gundogan, which is, again, the same kind of thing. Yeah. Again, Sterling, he didn't have the shot on. He maybe could have took a touch. He maybe could have done something else, but the pass to Gundogan was a bad one, so you can't really blame Gundogan for putting it over the bar. But it was just after that where they got to the byline again. And again, I'm going to do an article on this, hopefully this week. That trademark City goal, 
where they used to pass their way to the byline and pull it back and someone would score a tap in. That's basically gone this season. So I had that in my head when I was watching it. But they did that a good few times yesterday. And this one was probably three or four minutes into the second half. And I said to Jack Pitt Brook, they're scoring this. When they, I can't even remember who it was. I think it was Walker who just cut it back. And Gundogan and somebody else was running towards it. I think I think it, I think Gundogan and Aguero both made the run yeah. into the six-yard box and the pullback went to about the penalty spot. Yeah. No, but I think they were kind of both close and it kind of went between them or something. Like I say, obviously this is one I haven't looked at as much as the others. But I just I, I said to Jack Brook, I was like, they're scoring this one. And then it went kind of between them or behind them or whatever. And he was like, oh, you jinxed that. I was like, let's not start on jinxes. <laughs> but these were really, really good chances that City are creating. And so, yeah, I, I came out of the game yesterday thinking, this is just a shambles. Like, wh- what are they doing? Like, it's not made. Again, it's the same kind of thing we spoke about before. It's not a major thing because you think, well, they're playing really well. And they, they played really well yesterday. Um, but the more it goes on, like they've got West Ham and then a break and then Leicester and Real Madrid. And if they don't shake out of this, fine. They, I mean, they might. If it's a confidence thing, someone will score and they'll be all right. They'll probably score four against West Ham anyway. But if this happens against Real Madrid, it doesn't matter if they've played really well and created a load of chances and gone, oh, well, you know, we played the better football over the two legs or we had, you know, four XG over the two legs and Real Madrid had 1.2. They're still out. If they're out, they're out. Yeah. And that's the issue now. Like, we've been building up for this Real Madrid game for months and all of a sudden it's here. And City looked like they were getting better, but they, well, again, kind of performance-wise they have, but results-wise they haven't. Madrid are actually doing that usual Madrid thing of coming good around spring. They're looking all right. And even if they weren't, you would think they've got a result in them in Europe anyway. Yeah. So it, 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 that's that's the thing. It's looking worrying from that point of view. Is Aguero struggling in, in all of this as well? Bear in mind that, that, that one that Lloris got his studs to and flicked onto the post, I'd mm. say, was a good save. But there was one that was, certainly in the first half, that was absolutely criminal for him to miss, where he blazed it into the side netting. Yeah, from like a yard yeah. and it wasn't even like because the thing is when I wrote this article about Aguero the other week and people have mentioned it he's the ball always seems to go where he wants it to and he's always he can like when he shifts it you know when he stutters and then he goes again he often ends up off balance but the ball always goes to corner top corner which he did against United last week which was another big chance but De Gea made a great save um, so it, you would think he wouldn't be off balance for this so yeah so that was like literally a yard and a half out and he missed it from there, kind of off balance, which was just weird. I couldn't work out what had happened. Um, and there was one before that. So after, you know, when, when De Bruyne, or why didn't De Bruyne just put the ball across like he always does? When he blazed it. In that exact, yeah. In like, again, they got to the byline in that perfect position. And if you want anyone there to put the cross in, it's De Bruyne. <laughs> and then he just thought, I don't know, did he think I'm going to have a shot and try and like, take, like, keep, catch the keeper off guard? But he, so, he should have squared that across for, like, even if it's just... You know when you do it on FIFA, just triple tap it and see and if then, someone scores an own goal. And then the other right? one rage someone quits, will be there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just just put it. Just put the ball in that area. That is playing the percentages. That and that's what City do. You know they've they've done the hard part. But then after that, they had another good opportunity. They didn't get in behind, but Walker got for just good old fashioned right back play. Got on the overlap outside Mares, put the ball into Aguero in a good position, ten yards out. First shot was going wide quite tamely, but it bounced back off Sanchez, and he had another shot. And Sanchez blocked it again. But I don't think Aguero is struggling. Um, like I said, I've been looking back at these games and he never really cropped up as somebody having a shocker 
or making a bad pass or a bad finish. And the misses against United were there were the two, misses, two good saves from Well, the yeah, the biggest the biggest chance because I don't know. I I look at XG to an extent, but I don't hang my hat on it. But I was asked to have a look as part of this article, and I got the map for the United game, and there was a big like chance in there. I was like, what was that one? Was that his header? And it was like Aguero seven minutes, and it was the header. And I was like, okay, but I'm not going to put that in because it's like. I know it's a missed chance, but it was a really good save, and it's like I'm not sure what else he could have done with it. Yeah, the the only watching that back, the only thing I, on the replay I thought was he could have gone to the other post, but then that's a much mm. harder header, and it's like you, you don't expect you yeah, wouldn't expect that, that. Yeah, you're not getting the contact on yeah. it. You? You're glancing it, and you might miss it altogether. Yeah. But if you're meeting it and sending it back where it came from, that's you know, God, we've all heard match of the day, Ian Wright, <laughs> Alan Shearer head it back where it came from, that kind of thing. So yeah. fair enough. I don't think that was a bad one, but even in that game. When we're talking about people overthinking the finishes, when he had that goal, it was offside in the second half. Yeah, yeah. But the ball was coming coming into him, and De Gea was coming out, and he just kind of flicked it, and it's gone in. And it's like that's a great instinctive finish. Aguero is not prone to this overthinking in front of goal. Really, he misses chances like everyone. Like no one scores one hundred percent of their chances. Um, no, I think he he had problems against Spurs. That was a, a bad game. But I don't think I don't think he would be prone to the same issues as the others. I don't think. I don't think. He would be prone to a lack of confidence. He's been doing it for so long, and he would have had patches where he hasn't scored goals, and he's come back fine. So I wouldn't be too worried about Aguero personally. I mean, there, there's others where you think, well, not so sure, but not Aguero. It seems remarkable, really, that that City have scored 102 goals this season. Yeah, that, exactly. That they've been struggling this week to actually convert the chances, given the quality of the chances they've created. But equally, it seems remarkable that they're also 22 points behind Liverpool. Yeah. Well, again, I was so I was. Preparing to write an article about Sterling, which I may well do for the middle of this week, and I, I thought I can't write about just Sterling after that Tottenham game because everyone was at it. Um, in terms of missing chances, he could have done something on ever, just everyone. Like, <laughs> Otamendi for that second goal, I'm not sure if it will come up. Where was he going? Where was he going? Why? <laughs> I've got the answers for you. And, Sam. We're, and we're talking around. We're talking about City, and you know, trying to break down teams that are set up and they're getting in behind. They have to work so much harder this season because teams know what they're going to do. I'm I'm kind of loath to say teams have worked out City, but they know these kind of passing moves. If somebody plays the ball into David Silva's feet, like a square pass, and they, they know Sterling's going to run in behind, they know Silva's going to angle the pass towards him. So don't go, don't get attracted to the ball because they're going to go in behind you. Or just like play an extra midfielder in there to block those spaces. And they're doing that, so it's been harder for City. To, to get in behind because the defender's like, well, we're not, com- we're not coming out, we're not going to make it easy for you. And then, like, after <laughs> men, like, not even just, when when those opposition defenders get attracted to the ball, that, that's doing their job. You know, when when teams play the ball back or square, defences push up. Premier League defences, professional defences push up. They, they That's how they, you know, to squeeze the game and keep everything tight. That's how they've been drilled to defend. So maybe this year they've changed that and not done it. But that, they're doing their job by like, kind of just squeezing up a bit. It's only a yard or so, putting pressure on the ball and exploit that. Well, where was Otamendi going? He ran like five or six yards out of position. The pass didn't even go to him. <laughs> it wasn't even like, I'm sure, who played the pass? Ndombele. I'm not even sure Ndombele thought, oh, Otamendi's out of position, I'll play it to Son now. He just played the ball to Son anyway, and Otamendi went towards whoever else it was. But you can't predict Otamendi's... <laughs> Positioning, that's... that's it's pointless, basically. Yeah. What were we talking about, anyway? I've forgotten already. It was, oh, no, it Sterling. Was Sterling, yeah. Um, yeah, so all the goals that he scored. Uh, yeah, so it's one of those ones where you think, well, Sterling's got a decent amount of goals as well. He's got a good amount of goals this season. If you look, if not, you didn't follow him... Not scored in eight, though. Exactly, exactly. But if you didn't follow him, oh, that's a decent amount, that. Um, a, a normal amount of assists. 
Um, but obviously, yeah, if you look at it, not scored in eight. No assists in eight either, I think. Um, and if you look at some of the some of the misses, you think what's going on, and that ties up exactly with City, because you can't criticize a team that scores hundred and two goals. And I think before yesterday, before the Spurs game, you wouldn't have made too much of it because United game could be a one-off. Because I know they miss chances in these games, but and it's a bit of a theme, but it's not like disastrous. Like nobody was really coming out of the Palace game going. Oh, they should have like they. That was outrageous. The chances they missed, and um, same against Sheffield United. There was a couple, but it was like okay, that, that can happen in a game. But these these two games, the United game and the Spurs games, they are kind of what is going on here, kind of thing. They should have so, been out of sight before they lost the game. Yeah. So I, part of me, I'm thinking it's just a bit of a freak. It's a it's a bit of a one off. But obviously, the problem is, even if they're not missing ridiculous chances, you know, like being eight yards out and squaring it instead of shooting. It's still a case of they're not doing what they need to in front of goal. Well, and not doing what they need to defensively either because teams are doing that thing of scoring with the first shot they have. And that that's the issue going forward. But it's it is it is hard to analyse because they've scored so many goals but they're still so far off and that's because it's about individual games, I think. Sam, there's is there a danger this season turns out to be worse than Guardiola's first season? Well, I mean, already, I mean, they're already in the League Cup final. Well, so it they... depends on your perspective, because I'm sure people would say it already is because of how good the team are. Because, I mean, what was what was the reasonable expectation in the first season? I mean, some people were expecting him to come in and win the league. And to be fair, maybe I thought, given how the, the league had started before that and how it started, fair enough. But um, now, now, as we know it, you know, the players weren't kind of getting to grips with his, with his demands. There was a lot of change and it kind of needed those new players coming in to kick it off. And I'm thinking, yeah, the first season was kind of what it was with, you know, with Sabaleta and Navas playing right back and Clichy playing left back and Kolarov playing centre back and, you know, Fernando, like all these, <laughs> like just all these mad forgotten players. You think, well, fair enough, like finishing, what did they finish in Third. Third, yeah. Finishing third with that, fine, for the first year of the new project. But then you might say, hold on, four seasons in it. Why is why they're so far off the leaders? But at the same time, they're still second. Like it's really weird. It's really and, hard to place. And equally, the leaders have dropped two points all season. <laughs> exactly. It's not it's not a normal season. Exactly. So I mean, in terms of it being worse than the first season, some might say it is already because they should be doing much better. Um, but I mean, we're a long way to go. Yeah. Um, we spoke about it last week. People are kind of not taking it for granted, but people are saying, "Oh, if we were to win just the the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup at the end of the season," and that's such a common conversation now. It feels like that's definitely going to happen. And I mean, and maybe it will. And if it does, then nobody's going to be saying it was worse than the first season. But there will be. Well, the, the narrative going into next season is you need to sort it out in the league. I mean, obviously the Champions League will have a big say in that, but they'll still be talking about the league. And I, I, I can't see City winning the Champions League anyway. But I've been saying the same thing for about a year since that Schalke game. Schalke, if you can see two goals to Schalke away in the last sixteen, they're asking for trouble ever since then. Crossing my fingers, you know, for Shrewsbury to do the business at Anfield because City won't do it there. Um, but other than that, I think City have got a good chance. Um, less so with the Champions League. Uh, if things are so inconsistent, though, why at this stage now is it not worth Foden and Garcia coming in? Yes, it is. It is. Um, I mean, I think I've said this again before. Um, in terms of people saying focus on the Champions League or whatever, it never really made any sense. But I think I said probably the 
biggest thing you'll get is a bit more time for Foden and a bit more time for Garcia, particularly later on in the season if, you know, top fours are short and that kind of thing. But now it's got to the stage, okay, Guardiola's not going to react to a defeat and think, okay, well, we might as well make it harder on ourselves by playing younger players. But what is Otamendi offering more than Garcia? Does it matter if he can head away a few corners? When If City don't concede the corners anyway, it doesn't matter. And I know that sounds easy to say, but that is how City play. And like the second goal yesterday, I don't know, would just Garcia wouldn't have done that. Maybe he'd have been caught out in another way, but I think you've you've got a set of scales and you've got Garcia on one side and Otamendi on the other, and it's about even at the minute. I got, like, Garcia lacks experience, and he might get caught out. He might not be that quick. But Otamendi has experience, but what does it count for when you just run off? Is, is the argument the, after the wrong pass? Is the argument against Garcia that he's not tall enough? Um, because to an extent, because I've just looked, he's one point eight two meters. Otamendi's one point eight three. Yeah, uh, like, but when I spoke to Garcia, he said he goes, "Well, Otamendi's the same." But the thing is, it's Otamendi. You would say Otamendi's good in the air. He, Otamendi knows how to use it. But like Fernandinho, but then if you play two, two people of the same height, I don't, I don't know. There's something in there where I mean, Garcia's not especially good in the air. For, for somebody his size. He can be. And I think that might be the one one of the things that Guardiola's looking for, especially the way that, you know, City aren't particularly good at defending set pieces. As for Foden, it's the age old thing. But you think now, yeah, but then City are trying so much I don't think Foden would have squared to Gundogan in that United game. Uh no he wouldn't have. He'd have hit it. Yeah he would have, yeah. Um yeah he would have. That's a good way of putting it. Uh People are saying, oh, I'll just put him in now. But the thing is, we're talking, this is Guardiola football, and it might be overcomplicated. Well, not over, overcomplicated for us, but, you know, you can't celebrate a 100-point win and a domestic treble and then say, oh, and he's doing this and he's doing that. It's all part and parcel. You can't... So my argument is, where would Foden have played yesterday? Because he was going to play a double pivot, and he's not going to be one of the defensive midfielders. And Foden's not going to play instead of De Bruyne. Nobody would want that. Like the biggest Foden probably wouldn't want that himself. He'd probably be like, "Are you, are you sure? Are you mad?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he's not going to play instead of Sterling. He could play instead of Sterling, like he did at Arsenal. But Mendy played at Arsenal. You need an attacking left back, and obviously Angelino now is not an option. <laughs> so and not, Mendy, that one worked out. And Mendy's <laughs> and Mendy's not. Yeah, but he wasn't very good either. So like, fair enough. And Mendy's not fit, so there was no space for Foden in that team yesterday. And I mean, fine, there might be time, like next week, if if City play 4-3-3 against West Ham and David Silva plays. He might be needed at left-back, though, because Zinchenko's suspended. Uh, oh, <laughs> God, yeah. Maybe he will. Left wing-back like he played at Shakhtar a few years ago. I've, yeah, well, I mean, why not? But uh, but it's not, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, if it gets to the stage where he's playing David Silva as the number eight in a 4-3-3 again and David Silva doesn't have a good game, then it's like, yeah, just play Foden now. But I'm not convinced. It's The thing with Pep is... So after that Wolves game, Otamendi didn't play for a bit and apparently he was injured. But that's when Garcia came in against Sheffield United over Christmas. And then you just think, it's like they have a week to clear their heads and the slate's clean for everyone again and Guardiola just goes, okay, Nico, in you go. Or John, it's fine. But I don't know. I just kind of think, given there's a week to the next game and then there's a break, Otamendi will probably play the next, probably play the next three games, which is West Ham, Leicester and Real Madrid.
Now, anybody who's watched City this season has seen the same issues. They can't defend. But is it any more of a problem to do with how much the defence is being exposed? After all, the pressing hasn't been the same this year, and the midfield has also looked much less mobile than it used to. On top of that, there's a growing theory that Rodri and Gundogan can't play together in the middle as it leaves City underperforming at both ends of the pitch. Sam, is that something that uh, you've spotted and maybe mulling over? Yeah, well, earlier in the season, and I mean, the way I've been looking at this is... There's those stats doing the round. What are those stats again about Gundogan and, and uh, Rodri? It's, uh, when City start with both Gundogan and Rodri, uh, they've won 53%. Yeah. When they start with one of Gundogan or Rodri, it jumps to 74%. Yeah. And then there was another one I saw that was taken from a Times article, so I'm not sure the context of it. I was in a rush. I saw it on one of the aggregator accounts, and that's the problem with the aggregator account sometimes. You don't know the context. But it was saying it was something like just Gundogan in the team the win percentage this season is like 50%, and well, without I, him it's 80 or something like that. Well, I've got it as um, uh, down at 70%, uh, played 10-1-7, but that isn't just Premier League games, that's all competitions, which I think also will extend to the, to things like Port Vale maybe. Yeah, and... okay. Well, but, but anyway, the point is, the reason I asked you to read out those stats that you've got is because, again, context is just really important. So yeah, earlier in the season, I think the, the key games of the season were Wolves and Norwich at the start. Yeah. That's done it then, because then you go and you go into Anfield thinking we need to win this game or we're done, and they lost it because of all, all kinds of different reasons which we won't go into, and that was it. That was basically it. And then Newcastle finished it off after the international break, um, but it was those two games. And I've I've so I've said the biggest issues are the injuries which came first, and then those two games. So you've had Gundogan um, in that kind of hybrid role, which didn't really work. So he wasn't De, you know he wasn't De Bruyne getting forward and creating chances. But also, he wasn't really asked to be. He was supposed to be much deeper, and that created problems all over the pitch. So, yeah, in that sense, playing Rodri and Gundogan together, I didn't like it. Um, and I think it, it's had big problems for City. You know, it marginalised Mares, but it could have been anyone on that right-hand side. The one thing I will say for these stats as well is it doesn't take into account where the times when one of them's been brought off the bench to join the other in a game. It also yeah. doesn't take into account the time Rodri's played a couple of games at centre-half as well, so it yeah, doesn't, doesn't it, take yeah. that into account. Yeah, exactly. And But also, so there's a couple of games where if you look at it, so basically, exactly, look, it's, it's, it's way too broad. But you look at it and you think, well, yeah, I think in certain games, Norwich and, and Wolves for one, those two have played together with Gundogan kind of doing that weird role. It doesn't suit him. I don't, I'm not sure who it would suit, to be honest. They kind of got to be a bit deep. They got they got to be a bit deeper than they should normally be, but also attack. It just we talked about it a lot. It doesn't work, and I don't think I don't think he's been asked to do that since. But then on the other hand, the Arsenal game, which everyone liked when it was more of a four-two-three-one, they were both playing there in front of the defence, that double pivot, and it looked much better because. Gundogan didn't have to worry about getting forward too much. De Bruyne was nearer the goal. Um, the wingers were still there. Obviously, like they they used the width for Mendy that game, and obviously the difference at Spurs was there was Sterling who was who was playing wide, and Zinchenko was a bit more narrow. But that balance looked much better to me, and I don't think anybody would. You, nobody could say, "Oh, Rodri and Gundogan don't work," but the, uh, and then say, "Oh, the Arsenal game was good though." Like it, but equally, <clears throat> they, they they dominated the ball against Spurs. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and and again, another good reason we're talking about this is because I looked at the Q and A. I still haven't even got back to all of the all of the questions or even all of the the rants, but I, I will do. And a lot of it's been about Rodri and Gundogan, and I've said, well, I mean, look, if they weren't playing well enough, but City were winning, it would be right to 
putting out because you're thinking, well, if someone's not quite doing their job, then you know it's still something to to bear in mind. But if City had have put their chances away. Would anyone be? We wouldn't be talking about. Would anyone today. be complaining about them? I don't think so. Um, so that yeah. So there's that element, but there's just the element of in terms of those stats. What like why? Okay, so they're not playing and City aren't winning according to the stats. But why are they? Why are they playing and what are they doing? So you've got Gundogan in that role, which doesn't work. And I was with Guardiola thinking I need to protect the defense here, and the defense was Stones not Mendy against Norwich, and there was mistakes against Norwich that was nothing to do with Gundogan. I think Rodri was a bit bad on the first goal um, the Wolves game everyone was terrible but you, you could say that's because of because of those two it was a big part of it but then like I say you can't just write off the Arsenal game when it looked much better uh, I'd, yeah the, I think the stats are way too broad and the, especially the ones that kind of scapegoat Gundogan and say when he plays City don't win I mean what about the end of last season when he was, about, well, I, I was going to come on to this. Like Fernandinho wasn't there for the end of last yeah. season, and, he, and in fairness, he's not there now because he's playing centre half. So it's not just a case of missing the Fernandinho role in front of the defence because Gundogan was doing it perfectly well last season. Yeah, again, exactly. You can look at it. You, I mean, you you can make stats say anything you want. Basically, I mean, you could. I, I'm, there's probably some kind of argument you could you could probably find a stat that says City have won so many games with De Bruyne. And so many without him, and make it look like De Bruyne is the problem. Right, Gundogan isn't De Bruyne; he's not David Silva. That's always been his problem, anyway. But that's fine because nobody is. But he has got his talents. He is better deeper on the pitch. I think he was. I think he was good against Spurs. I looked at Rodri. Rodri wasn't. Um, the thing is, there's, there's reasons for this. We know we know about Rodri. It's the usual things of he's adapting to a new league and a new team, and not just a new team, but an incredibly demanding, high quality new team. So that was always going to take time. The coaching staff, as we wrote about at the start of the season, they knew he was going to need time to adapt and not get caught out on counter-attacks and learn when to go and press and when not to. So they knew there was going to be a period of adaptation. But also, as we mentioned last week, I think it was, everyone's being caught out this season. Look at the amount of counter-attacks City are conceding from further up the pitch. They probably thought, okay, well, Rodri will come in and they might have like three transitions he needs to deal with a game. Maybe he's dealing with six or seven. He's he's kind of as much of a victim as everyone else. So there's reasons for him not necessarily playing well. And, you know, maybe the confidence thing. You know, every all these things that have happened recently and all these defeats, that can build and build. So you you, you can't separate the Rodri from now. From, from the one at the start of the season. That, yeah, exactly. That, that looked like he'd it's, settled it's, quite quickly. It's all part of it. You know, the confidence is low with everyone. And why would why would Rodri be any different? Um but yeah, but he didn't play particularly well, and especially as the game went on, he he looks like a centre back playing in midfield when he's not playing well. He looks like somebody. He looks like how I remember John Stones playing when he was in midfield. Like he knows where he knows what he's doing when he's a centre back, or he it feels like he'd be comfortable, you know, on the ball. You don't have to go and step out when you're not when you're not got the ball. Obviously, when you're carrying it out from the back with the ball at your feet, then he'd be well suited to that as well and a great passer. He looks like a centre-back playing in midfield when things aren't going well because he's kind of... He's where the danger is, but he's like, should I put my foot in there? Oh, it's too late and they're already yeah. in behind. Or, oh, should I jump for that? Oh, I've lost it. And he he does that a lot when he's, when he's not playing well and it just... It doesn't look like it's working in some of those games, but in other games, he looks completely fantastic and... Like I say, there's there are reasons for it, um, and yeah, some you know some of the times he's he's caused City problems this season, but 
to go right back to that stats thing, I, I don't know. I think you just need to look at all of those games. But yeah, because like, like you said, when Rodri played centre-back at Crystal Palace away, for example, and Gundogan played in midfield, you can't include that. But it's yeah, but it, then, it is included in the stats. Yeah, exactly. That, and you, yeah. and you, can't in, you can't include when they played in the way they played at Norwich and Wolves in, in, in the same way that they played against Arsenal. They're being used in different ways. And there's different reasons they're playing there. You know, they're both playing there because it's almost as if two of them equal one Fernandinho, which brings you back to the thought of why not? I mean, what? But could now he, he's got to say, why not just play Fernandinho in midfield? Could he? Would he? Would he consider doing that? I don't think so. I mean, maybe now, but I mean, I, I can see the logic in it because, like everything I've just said about Rodri, he needs time, so give it him. You know, we're saying the same thing now about I want to play Garcia and Foden for next season, bed them in. It's the same thing for Rodri. Like, why would you start putting him on the bench now? What you should be doing is getting him used to next season. Yeah. Use these games. If exactly the same logic as the young lads, but could that play mean, him as much as possible. Could there be an argument though that that Real Madrid comes along, Fernandinho does play in holding midfield, and then it's maybe a Champions League only thing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean that that should happen. I don't think it will. But that does seem to make a lot of sense. That seems to go... If you've got Laporte fit... I mean, I don't know who would play centre-back with him. Garcia, hopefully, but Rodri. he's not going to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. I'd, I actually think that would make sense. I actually think that would make sense. But, yeah. Who, who are we to tell him what to do? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But sometimes it just feels like... Sometimes it's like... I know this is obvious, but surely there's something in it. And, yeah, Fernandinho playing in, in midfield against Real Madrid away... Sounds like a good idea. Makes sense to me. It won't happen. Problems in defence for City and problems in attack, especially this week, but it's definitely not for the want of trying. It means everybody's been left frustrated with the way the last two games have gone, so why has it ended up this way? It's often said that football works in three-year cycles, so is that what's happened at City? Have this group of players come to burnout under Guardiola, Sam? No. No, I don't think so. There was a couple of these kind of things in the Q&A as well. Um, but again, I kind of just think that's narrative and you're looking out for it. And, you know, I've always kind of been thinking, you know, by the time of the end of Guardiola's reign, I think the players will be tired and they might be a bit sick of it. But I don't think that's what we're seeing. Like, we've, we've spoken a lot already about the type of chances they were creating against Tottenham. They were playing, that was Guardiola football. That was exactly what he wants them to do. They were getting to the byline. Even for that one, that De Bruyne across, where, well, the shot where he should have put it across the ground. Before Rodri switched the play to Mahrez, Sterling had made the run in behind on the left that Rodri could have floated one over the back to him. They That was the perfect move. They could have gone either way. They could have got in behind that defence either way. And that was better than they've actually been doing recently. They were, they were really good. They were really good football for an hour. I mean, they completely, like, their heads fell off at 2-0. That was it. That was the end of the game. And again, that kind of reminded me of when they were going for the fight back against Liverpool in the Champions League and Firmino scored, and that was it. They were just done. Um, and sometimes they looked a bit starstruck. You know, like United, the 3-2 as well, that same week. I know it was two years ago, but it was like, they ain't scoring again here. And that was, that was the, it was like, they're not scoring now. And I know they had 10 men, but when it was 1-0, I thought... There's a chance. There's a chance here, but 2-0... They didn't do anything for 15 minutes and then they kind of rallied again. But they were fantastic for an hour. So, no, um, I mean, they might be tired, maybe. You know, the Bernardo Silva thing, part of it was he had such a big season last year. Mara's the same. Um, David Silva's ageing, but you can't 
blame Guardiola for him being tired. For the aging process, yeah. or whatever. Um, Fernandinho's not. Fernandinho looks good. The bad thing with Fernandinho is everyone tweets in the first hour about how great Fernandinho is, and then City don't win. And there's always questions on my Q and A saying Fernandinho is not a centre back, and like everyone was really <laughs> happy for the first hour. I need to have a look. Maybe he's terrible in the last half an hour. I don't know what it just, is. Just generally the last half hour of games. Um, but I, I think it's just one of those where when City don't win, some you feel like you need to blame someone. So Gundogan and Rodri are two of the scapegoats this week. Obviously Sterling, but that's more understandable because he's missing a lot of the chances. Um, but some of it's yeah, Pep. Uh, you know, uh, is he is he fed up? Are the players not listening to him? Whatever. I don't think so at all. They're playing his football. They're doing exactly what he's told them to do. You know, in a different setup, he's got the two midfielders in front of the defenders again. They're doing what what he wants them to do. They just haven't been scoring. That that's the difference. We wouldn't be having like. There's no way if City had scored those three goals, you wouldn't be asking me. I know we were, we're doing it for the sake yeah. of conversation, but we wouldn't be talking about that. Wouldn't be the conversation this morning. If um. Well, no, Guardiola kept the players into the in the dressing room for quite a long time after that game. Um, yeah, what, like forever. But what on earth could could have been like? What what could it have been about? Because is it a sort of like a clear the air thing where everybody chips in? Is he ranting and raving at them for not finishing? I wish those I knew. Because I'm trying there, to find out. I wish I knew. There's only so much he can say after that game because they they played well. Yeah, and it it's, it goes back to what did he say on the on the documentary? And again, it just goes back to just grasping every piece of. Um, behind-the-scenes information available to us. But um, what was it? If if you want to do something, you have to score the effing goals, basically. That was it, wasn't it? So what else could you say to them after that? Um, yeah, and, and again, we've been talking about how well they played. So what, is he going to bollock them for the, the half an hour that was... But I, d- I don't know. You know, he said, I was speaking to the players, I was speaking to my wife and all this kind of stuff, which, you know, is won't be true. <laughs> uh, but I'll, yeah, maybe it is a clear the air thing. Maybe it's a well. Go on, then you talk. You know, like yeah. they did a bit of that after the derby again on the documentary where Delph and his famous basics of football. Yeah, maybe it was that. Um, I'm hoping to be able to find out. I'm not sure. I mean, the dressing room stuff is very well guarded at City. They'll be they'll be pleased to hear. But I, I don't know what he could be saying to them, and that's the issue. This is it, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you've got a team playing good football and creating chances, and on the other hand, you've got a team. That doesn't score the chances and concedes goals. But apart from, apart from telling Nick, Nicholas Otamendi to walk back to Manchester because he ran out of position, <laughs> there's not like there's not anything glaring in there that you could bollock them for for 45 minutes to an hour. So I'd love to know what was said. Maybe it was a kind of clear the air thing, and maybe it was a kind of uh, I don't know. But we saw against Burnley after they drew at that Newcastle game how together they all are and how they. They've really celebrated that win because they're like, oh, almost out of relief, I think. Yeah, it needed something like that. Of, oh, like, it, like yeah. oh, we needed, the, we needed that. Oh, we can still do it. And it feels like they need another one of those. I'm just not sure what. I'm just not sure what they could have possibly said because I'm sure they'd have been just completely as shell-shocked as the rest of us, I guess. But the, and, the flip side is that, I mean, let's be honest here, not one of those players on that pitch needed to be told what was wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes Guardiola doesn't go in. Sometimes he doesn't. Like, there's no need. There's no need to have a word. And he, he normally doesn't say much anyway after the game. Like, I wrote a piece about that as well about the what happens when City lose. Normally, it's very analytical. I mean, maybe there was just an awful lot of analysis. But what can you do? Like, it wasn't even a like after the Norwich game. It was oh, this is the corner. You got to do this or the Otamendi thing in the box. You know, when he got the goal kick and didn't know there'd be someone pressing him, despite the fact there had been someone pressing him for the whole game. Tell him that. But what are you going to say? Tal De Bruyne are fine. You got to put the ball across, but for the others, they they were 
it was just the finishing. You go, oh, you had to score there. Yeah, I know, boss. Cheers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. What more? Um, just looking ahead to uh, possible changes to the squad. Uh, I know the, the transfer window shut, and obviously the transfer window now is for the end of the season. Um, but do you suspect there'll be any surpri- surprise changes to this squad? Um, We've already said in, in previous shows that, that there's likely to be a fair number of incomings and outgoings. Yeah, I'm just trying to work out what a surprise would be now. Because um, I've said before, there'll be at least five. Um, talked about Jesus potentially going. Talked about Mendy potentially going. Obviously the others, like Otamendi, nobody would argue with because you know, he was going to go in the summer but didn't, but probably will now. David Silver out of contract. Bravo out of contract. Psane, quite possibly. Quite possibly going. Although his new agents are kind of negotiating with everyone. I've said this on Raphael Honigstein's podcast as well. We talked about it in some detail, probably more detail than we've got time to do now, if people want to listen to that. But his new agents have basically said, well, we're going to speak to anyone, which has annoyed Bayern because they were like, well, we had a deal. But they're like, well, you haven't got a deal with us. So Bayern will have to decide if they want to negotiate again. City will have to decide if they want to negotiate again, but they're probably thinking, well, we've already made a contract offer and they weren't going to go above it anyway. And Bayern's was already much higher. So if the agents want more money from Bayern... Say this, I don't know what the figures were, but hypothetically, say they wanted, they were giving them 300 grand a week, and they, they said, we want more. They ain't going to get that from City. And, yeah, and City were already saying, well, we'll give you 180, and that's it. They're not going to go to 350, are they? So, yeah, he's probably still very likely to go. It might not be buying. It probably will be, but, you know, there's, there's a bit of doubt about that situation. Percentage but, chance he's still here next season? 10, 20. So, I mean, there's a chance, you know, it could happen. Slim slim to nil. But, yeah, I'm not saying no, no percent. You know, there's, it's decent, but it's... I wouldn't, again, wouldn't hang you out on it. But anyway, we've mentioned, what, five or six players there who could easily go. Um, I was kind of hypothesising a bit about John Stones going about a couple, six weeks ago. And I remember on the way back from Villa having this conversation in the car with a couple of colleagues. And I think that was the week that he got linked with Arsenal. And I did a, a little voice clip for one of the other transfer podcasts on the day he got linked with Arsenal. And I went, this makes a lot of sense. I was, I, I was thinking for a, a couple of weeks that maybe Stones would be one they would be really ruthless with. If they're going to get rid of Gabriel Jesus and be that ruthless, Stones is more deserving of being sold. I'm not saying he should be, but if you're going to sell Gabriel Jesus or think about it, Stones is much more deserving of being sold. So I was thinking maybe he could go as well. But, I mean, would, but it just depends. Would that be a surprise to anyone? And then the five names or five positions... They're all a surprise because I don't think like there's a lot of names out there at the minute, but it's not nobody knows exactly which one it's going to be. All these Skriniar rumors last week. People thought City were going to sign Milan Skriniar and send Otamendi to Inter Milan on the last day of the transfer window. Like it was never going to happen. That was never ever going to happen. So people still don't really know. Myself included. People still don't really know exactly who they're going to go for. So there will be some surprises eventually. Um, I'm sure it'll be a fun period to cover. <laughs> but yeah, there there will be a few changes. Five or six out, five or six in, which people say is rare, but they did it in 2017. It worked out pretty well. For the final part of the show, we always ask for your questions from Twitter. And uh, Sam, we've got a couple come in. Uh, Southack Jane asks, uh, does Jaden Braff have a chance of making it at City? Also, how has the coaching setup changed post Arteta's departure? Uh, well, I'll do the Arteta's departure one first. Um, basically, Burrell stepped up. I'm not. In, I'm not entirely sure of who's doing what in terms of who's putting the cones out, who's drawing up the plans for the set pieces. Because Arteta was the set piece guy, along with the Nicolas Jova, the French guy who came in. I'm not sure exactly what 
duties have been handed out and shared where. But yeah, um, Rodolfo Barral basically was given much more responsibility. He stepped up to be more senior and replace Arteta and everyone else. Yeah, they just shared the workload between them, basically. There's, nobody new has come in. I mean, maybe they'll look at it in the summer, but I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, Jaden Braff, loads of people are saying this. and I've seen a lot of my mentions about, like, Pep's been really unfair with him and this is bullshit and he should be playing. It's like, you don't, like, you've no idea why he isn't playing. And obviously he scored a really good goal against Everton's under-23s the other night. I think he got two and one was really good and it was on Twitter. And again, everyone was saying that. And what was the question? Is he got, you know, is he going to come through? He definitely, he's got the potential. He looks like Sancho to me. Um, he looks fantastic. But I, I don't want to go into this too much for two reasons. One is he's 17 and it can happen to anyone. Although when you think about the kids who have come through at City, they're generally the most mature, level-headed ones. And the other one is I'm going to write about it pretty soon. Um, and also could probably do with finding out a bit more info and confirming it and maybe a bit more contact. But basically, attitude's really bad. Um, as trained with the first team, as I think all the City players who are 16 or older have trained with At the, the first, point team. With the yeah. first team. Exactly. Um, the Alex Robertson, um, who's pretty good, he trained with them last week. Um, but yeah, Braff's been and Guardiola's just been really unimpressed with his mentality. I, it reminds me, I was told about a couple of years ago, 18 months ago, that somebody, I can't remember who it was, maybe it was Taylor Richards, he went and trained and he was complaining about being asked to play at left-back in a training game or something like that. And Guardiola was like, never send this kid to me again. And then he left pretty soon. Um, but it's not a Guardiola thing. People are going to say, oh, you know, City or Guardiola just blames on bad bad attitude. But he's had, Braff's had problems within the academy as well. You know, the academy staff. You know, he's got a reputation around the academy of being a bit of a diva, a bit of a maverick character. Um, and he's, you know, he's he's kind of broken academy rules and this kind of thing. So... They know how good he is. Um, I think they desperately want him to come good. But even the academy, as the separate entity, are thinking he needs to sort himself out. And then you've got the, the Guardiola side of it who's thinking, well, he ain't getting an ear till he has sorted himself out because yeah. what kind of example does that send to the others? And I don't think you can complain about that. Yeah, uh, Elite Edison on Twitter asks, uh, is there a problem with Edison? We seem to concede from pretty much every shot on target at the moment. Yeah, this is... It's always a difficult one. I, I saw an article last week about how we should be analysing goalkeepers. I'll, I'll need to read that. And then if I find it useful, I'll retweet it. Um, but I was thinking the same thing about Bravo in his first season, before he went really calamitous. You know, that, that Chelsea 3-1 game in December when City played really well and De Bruyne hit the bar. And like Willian scored. And it, like, I don't think Bravo kind of got down to it. I think now we've realised that Bravo doesn't, doesn't move, really move his feet. doesn't move his feet. He plants his feet and then he's miles away from it. Um, Edison... It's a similar thing. But the thing is, like with Bravo last week, Evan was always conceded from a shot on target again against United. But Matic put it right in the corner. Like nobody's saving that. Like right in the corner, clipped the post. And I think there was an element of that with with the Spurs ones. I know it was it was Edison's near post, but the second goal. But did it take a deflection? The second goal took a nick. Um, first goal, hmm. Do you reckon? I'm not sure. See, again, I, I, yeah, but I'm saying I'm not sure as in, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to analyse what a goalkeeper should be doing. Um, so I'm generally not sure, but I don't. It didn't strike me as a mistake. But then that's the thing with a lot of these goalkeeper things. You don't, you don't know. I mean, the thing with Edison is the most eye-catching thing is he comes off his line loads, and sometimes it doesn't work. But normally, you know, <laughs> normally, <laughs> normally, normally he's really well. good, and you need to do that in a team that plays a high line. You know, that's that's a vital part of it. The passing's still great, um, but yeah, um, last last season, you could have this argument um, with Liverpool fans about 
Allison and Edison and who was better. And fine, Liverpool fans could say Allison and City fans can say Edison. And any other neutral could say whoever they wanted. And you couldn't really argue because they were both great. But now, you couldn't make the argument that he's better than Allison at the moment. Um, it, just in terms of the saves. He's still better with his feet than Allison is. But um, but but Allison is making those saves and making bigger saves more often. And certainly at the moment, you're just thinking Edison's not quite whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how many of the goals he's to blame for or isn't to blame for. But there's just something at the moment where you think, okay, he's not quite performing at his, yeah, at just his not, top level. Just not quite a full touch of form, mm. maybe sort of thing. Uh, Colin Jones says, uh, I find it staggering that Pep week in week out allows City's corners and free kicks to be so poor. Why is this not being addressed? Well, again, again, it's one of those throwaway comments, isn't it? Not being addressed. It is being addressed. You know, they work on it a lot. I asked, I asked Guardiola after that Norwich game when they conceded that goal at the near post because we'd written about the near post thing in the summer, um, and you know, company knew about it. And when um, the Brazil coach Tichi was in at City before the World Cup and had kind of copied City's template for defending set pieces, which now seems mental. <laughs> but at the time was probably fair enough but company knew that so when Belgium played Brazil he told Roberto Martinez what their own weaknesses were at City and Belgium took a corner to the near post and I think Fernandinho actually scored an own goal yeah. flicked it into his own net um, so they've known about this for so long they brought the, the set piece coach well because Dominic Torrent used to do it Arteta took over and even last summer you know um, I think Marty Perrinow said on another podcast, you know, the, the author who's written, written the books about Pep at Bayern, he said, Arteta's been good, but, you know, one of the areas he can improve on is set pieces. And then obviously in the summer, they brought this guy, Nicolas Jova, in, and he's been working on it. And obviously now Arteta's gone, and he's working on it, and other people are working on it with him. So they are working on it. And I asked Pep about it, and he was like, every day we do something on it. Every day. But. I mean, where are we now? Like attacking them and defending them, same thing. I just wonder, not if, especially good. I just wonder if part of uh, Guardiola's thing in the dressing room after the game was uh, Tamares don't pass it straight to their the first man on, was, the, on the that corner. That was the Iago ass pass against Chelsea all those years ago, <laughs> all over again. I've I'm not you know, I've not even seen a replay of it. I've like, just in the heat of the battle and everything I've looked at since. You know, I've been looking at the chances missed, but let's not forget what a massive turning point in the game that was. What was he doing? One final question, very quickly. Uh, Patrick Devereux asks: Is there any reason to worry about why Laporte hasn't featured in the last few weeks? No, as far as I know, it's not a big injury. They're just kind of taking it easy. Um, yeah, obviously there was a bit of a problem after the Sheffield United game. He didn't fully get over it, and there might—I don't know what it is exactly—some kind of muscle tweak or something. But it's not like, a, as far as I know, um, it's not a, always going to be out for three weeks or a month. And by all, Pep keeps saying he'll be back for West Ham. And I think he even said, was it pre-match or post-match? But I think he said we got a week to prepare for West Ham now, and you know it should be fine. So right. I mean, think, but but I think all eyes are on Real a break, Madrid. There's a yeah, but there's a break after that. Then there's Le- there's Leicester. So Madrid is coming around soon in terms of um, matches. It's the third game from now, but it's still three weeks away, and he should he should be all right. I mean, sharpness is going to be an issue. And the the massively ironic thing, just to finish on the way Guardiola talks about killing the players in too many games, which you can't argue with him with. He, I think he's upset there's only one game before Real Madrid <laughs> because I think I think he would rather not have this break, which is massively ironic and probably hugely hypocritical. I think he would rather not have this break. I think he'd rather play Liverpool 
or someone like that, a big game just to keep his players in the mood. And then Leicester away is another big game just to keep his players focused on it. I think he'd, he'd rather not have this break, which is mad. And it might be something we speak about in the next couple of weeks. I think we'll see on that one. Uh, but that's it for this week's Why Always Us. You've been listening to the Athletic City correspondent, Sam Lee. Thanks very much. And me, David Mooney. We'll be back next week. Don't forget, for ad-free podcasts, make sure to subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code MANCITYPOD. Thank you.